This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 131 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we visit with Lenore Phillips from Phelps Media Group, discussing public relations and sponsorship. The breed of the show is the Pomeranian. In Critter Nutrition, we ask, what does natural on a label mean? And in Coffee Clutch, we share the secret powers of our horses, dogs, and cats. Listen in. I'm Tigger. And I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen, ringmaster hereabouts. And thank you for joining us on the Healthy Critters Radio Show, which is actually a podcast, but it's a throwback from back when nobody knew what a podcast was. <laughs> I didn't know. I never knew. <laughs> you didn't know. Um, no. Yeah. And and thanks for tuning in. We we stop, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we get together a couple times a month and we chit chat about all things healthy critters Mm -hmm. critters including humans we talk a lot about our own health mental as well as physical and uh, i think i think tigger has had a tiny little boost to her mental (laughs) and emotional health recently patty time yeah Yeah, i I, tigger what what could make one more happy than having some puppies six six Let's hear about them puppies. They're Australian Shepherds. They're 12 days old today. And um, there are three boys and three girls. Mm. Four blues and two blacks. Oh. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, oh. And uh, the, there's only one black try, and it's a girl. The other black is a bi. So he has four white feet. A white blaze, you know, white under his chin and his chest. I'm, I'm looking at him right now. <laughs> so, um, I've already named him. Um, oh my, yeah. I, I named him after my dad because my dad had border collies. Okay. Oh, that was okay. Good. So his name is Teddy. Aww. <laughs> That's adorable. And. Uh, yesterday I named one of the blue boys Huckleberry. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Which Every time I say that name, I, I just start giggling. Oh, I love that name. It's a great name. It's a great name. I mean, you could call him Barry for short or Huckleberry or just uh, Finn. Yeah. You know? oh, that's so, great. um, you know, so far it's, it's pretty easy because um, Eden, the mother, is doing all the work. But she's, yeah. at first, I couldn't get her out of the whelping box. I mean, I had to put a leash on her and, like, drag her away from the puppies to go to the bathroom. Oh, Today, yeah. she is like, get me out of here. <laughs> she she leaves quite often because they're quite large dumplings now. And, like- yeah, and... Um, she needs more time away from them. 
you know, like yeah. just to hang out with the other adults. <laughs> you know, it makes you feel for, you know, women who are raising kids at home and, you know, you're you're hearing baby talk and da 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 all day and you're just like, it's oh, tough. please, I just want to talk to somebody who can speak English in full sentences. And, and I think... <laughs> I think Eden feels, you know, I just need to be with some adult dogs. So, um, you know, they, they, their eyes aren't open. Um, they, they don't, their ears don't hear anything till about three weeks. Their eyes should open, you know, sometime between two and three weeks. So in a couple of days, I think the eyes will start. They're, they're starting to move around more and, um, and some of them, you know, they, I watch them nurse and you see their stomachs expand like little Santas. Oh. <laughs> it's so how cute. Much, isn't it amazing how like day to day? Oh, how they changed. It, it, it's yeah. amazing. And I've been doing this. Um, I, I handle them like two or three times a day. And I turn them on their backs and I hold them up and I, I just, you know, I, I feel their, their feet a lot. So they get used to that. And, um, and I've been reading up on, you know, cause it's been almost 40 years since I had my last litter. So, um, I want to get, I wanted to get more up to date. And, uh, this one, uh, breeder, she has a really great blog blog post and she talks about introducing music once they're hearing once they can hear she introduces music and sounds like thunder uh rain um pots falling on the floor all you need to do is to put the put your put your star wars dvds in and just let them play loud and (laughs) everything they need will be there right well, she says to be careful with things like rock music, and um, but you want to get them desensitized desensitized to loud sounds, mm. so that they're not fearful. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And then you want to put them on different surfaces. So you want to put them on carpet. You want to put them on floor. You want to put them on grass, on leaves. On she even gets like uh, tin foil. And puts it in uh, the whelping box. So at, when they're moving around, they step on the, you know, makes a funny sound. And what the heck is that? Just to get them okay. more exposed. Now, when you said that, I just had this vision pop into my head of the trash compactor scene. <laughs> and puppies in Star Wars. And puppies oh, crawling my. around inside the trash compactor scene <laughs> in Star Wars. I'm sorry. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. It is horrible, but that when you said talking about the, you know, just get them used to different textures. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> my vision is I'm going to put that foil down, and one of the puppies is, you know, going to grab it and drag it, and the others are going to pounce on it, you know, it, rip it to smithereens. That's my expectation. Yes, somebody's going to chew on it, and somebody's going to eat it. One of those yeah, puppies is going to be the eater. Sure is. Yeah. Well, that's why she said you have to be there. You can't just leave it in the whelping box. <laughs> You've got to be there and supervise. So anyway, um, I'm I'm hoping that um, these puppies will, you know, be really 
solid citizens because they've had exposure and, um, you know, and they're going to meet chickens and they're going to meet the other dogs and other humans. And I'm, I'm really gonna, I have this vision of me with, I already got this laundry basket. I'm going to put the puppies in the laundry basket and take it to Biostar and (laughs) let them meet lots of different people. But can't you imagine a basket full of puppies? I mean, oh, I, oh, oh my gosh! I, I, I expect wait. I expect to see on BioStar's Facebook page pictures <laughs> of puppies of in laundry puppies, baskets. Puppies come to BioStar. Yeah. So if you have not done so already, you need to go over to Facebook and make sure that you like and follow BioStar US on Facebook, so that you well, too actually, can enjoy the fu- the puppies. True. Yeah. Puppies. Yeah. So, um, but it, it has rejuvenated, it has really rejuvenated me in ways I didn't expect, which has been really cool. So, um, this definitely won't be the last of my breeding. Tigger's a grandma. But we have a really good show today. We do. It's very informative. Lots of really cool takeaway messages. So why don't we welcome our first guest to the show? We are here with Lenore Phillips, who is the vice president of Phelps Media Group in Wellington, Florida. And I've had the good pleasure of being a client of Phelps Media Group. Uh, Not me, of course, directly, Biostar, um, for almost a year. Uh, or maybe it's already been a year, um, and I can't speak highly enough about that team and that company and and how much they have helped BioStar, um, you know, sort of find our way in public relations and sponsorships and and social media which for a lot of companies is, is it's a daunting task, but it's also a daunting task for riders, um, for riders who are maybe thinking of becoming professionals or are professionals, need some uh, support and help to, um, you know, get, get sponsors, um, get maybe better owners and horses and get their name out because name recognition is huge as we know in the horse industry. So welcome Lenore to Healthy Critters. Thank you so much, Tigger. I'm really happy to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about just broadly what PMG uh, Phelps Media Group does? I know you do lots of other things other than what I mentioned, but can you sort of give us an overview Sure. So Phelps Media Group was founded in 2002 by Olympian Mason Phelps, and he was an event rider. Um, And he was best known for being a rider and a trainer, and then later in his career, an event manager. And he had this huge Rolodex of all of these people from all different walks of life in the horse industry. And he networking with people all the time. And so after a while, he decided that he was going to make a business out of his network. And he started Phelps Media Group, which is now the largest marketing and public relations firm in 
competitive equestrian sports. And wow. by it is pretty neat. Um, and by competitive equestrian sports, that means uh, hunter, jumper, dressage, polo, and eventing. Um, we also dabble in the racehorse world and a little bit in the quarter horse world, but really it's just those competitive English disciplines. And the things that people come to us about most often is marketing and public relations. I know those are pretty broad terms and we can narrow in on them as we talk further, but we also do brand development, um, email marketing, event public relations and event management and um, organizational leadership and then photojournalism. Uh, one thing many people might not know about the staff at PMG is that we are all accredited photojournalists. And so any of the photographs you see from any of our clients most likely came from one of our talented photographers. And that's something we're really proud of. Oh, that, yeah. Well, you guys take great pictures, I have to <laughs> say. <laughs> so if, if you um, maybe have, a, if you're a, a, a farm owner or a, a professional with a boarding and training business, what would be the benefits of, um, getting help with either marketing and or public relations? So I have to say right off the bat, there is literally no one on the planet, regardless of their business, their background or their circumstances that wouldn't benefit from having some sort of marketing and public relations representation. Um, I think the easiest way to think about marketing is telling your own story that's most relatable to the audience that you want to reach. And one of the things that we find at PMG time and again is that we will be approached by a business like Biostar, a competitive professional athlete, or an event that says, I think what I have or what I do is really special, but how do I communicate that to other people? And that's where PMG comes in to be your storyteller. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people find difficult is to talk about themselves or their product or their service in a way that doesn't feel like they're bragging or yeah. they're overselling or, yeah. you know, it's hard to talk about you because you live you day in and day out. And at some point it loses its luster a little bit. So <laughs> yeah. it's great. To have uh, a company like PMG or a marketing or PR professional, because there are great ones out there that work independently, to help you tell your story in a way that's really interesting and compelling for your audience. So um, if you're a barn owner and you want to market your services and training and uh, horse care, we can help you fill out all of those details that would make you really, really appealing to the people in your area. If you're a horse show, um, we can definitely help you get more entries and media awareness around your horse show. And then if you're a rider, we can really help you capitalize on all of the hard work and hours that you've put in in the barn and in the saddle and help present you to businesses or prospective horse owners or even Olympic teams or anything like that. You know, really, we're just here we like to think of ourselves as storytellers and we're here to get excited about everybody's story. 
what a lot of um, and you and I have talked about this, but I, a, a lot of riders um, are interested or are in um, negotiations with companies for sponsorship. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on both sides on what the totally. expectation is. Totally. Um, and, and, and you guys are great because you, you're the ultimate middleman um, <laughs> balancing the, the company's needs with the rider's needs. So can you explain that a little bit? to those people who are, you know, who would love to get sponsored, you know, what, what this really entails. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a really great thing to talk about and something Tigger, you and I have talked about at length. Um, and you know, something we've worked really hard to navigate. And, you know, the first thing I will say is that horse people are, inherently horse people because they do not like to write things down or follow contracts. And so the most important thing when entering into a relationship with a sponsored athlete or with a company that's going to sponsor you is that you have a set of written guidelines that everyone agrees to for a certain period of time. This protects everyone involved. Um, You know, it also offers a guideline of exactly what they're supposed to do so that when it comes time to renegotiate the contract, which, you know, if everything goes well, that's always the goal. You can go through the list of things that have been laid out for you and say, yes, I did this. Yes, I did this. Yes, I did this. Everybody's happy. You renegotiate and you move on. When Athletes and businesses run into trouble is when they enter into a relationship with no set guidelines. So really, really important as in any relationship ever, you need to set some ground rules and then follow those crown rules through the terms of your relationship. Um, I want to talk about it, I think, a little bit from the business side because that's okay. easier to explain and maybe more relatable. Um, Let's say that you own a company and your company offers a line of products and you start to be approached by athletes of varying abilities that would like to be sponsored by you and represent your product. The first thing to know is that there are varying levels of sponsorship and it's not just giving away free product in return for marketing from the athlete. Um, Certainly when you have the Olympic level athletes and the international level athletes, the the athletes that have a, a huge following or audience on social media, those athletes have the ability to ask for a free product trade, or in some instances, even cash for um, a sponsorship. But if you have an athlete, let's say um, a rider that's gone from a junior to being a young professional and they're out there, you know, beating the ring to really establish a name for themselves, but they haven't quite gotten there yet, uh, which is totally understandable and all part of the journey. Those athletes are probably more in line with getting what we like to brand as as a secondary sponsorship or an ambassadorship level contract where they get a percentage discount of the product instead of the product or products for free. And 
from the athlete's perspective, the way that you would normally fulfill a sponsorship contract is through talking about your personal relationship with the company, why you use the products, how it benefits your programs, most importantly, how it benefits your animals, and then also telling their audience how they can purchase the product. The most effective way to do this, hands down, is social media. I would say 95% of the sponsorship contracts that we manage at Phelps Media Group, the most important thing that we look for is that every single month, the athlete is posting about the product on their social media channels right now. More importantly, it's Instagram. Um, for some businesses, it might be Facebook because that's where their audience lies. Everything's a little bit different. Everything needs to be negotiated in the, in the contracts to make it most specific. But for the athletes, it's really important to keep in mind that you have to stay on a schedule. We all know what it's like to walk into the barn at 9 o'clock in the morning walk out at six o'clock at night and have no idea what's happening any day in between. Um, but that's where, you know, it's great to have a marketing and PR company behind you because they can do all of the social media posting on your behalf, take some of that workload off of you. But it is really important to set a schedule and every month make sure that you're checking off all the boxes for your sponsors. The other thing I would say to athletes that's most important is Horse people, in a way that not many other sports people, can smell a rat. And when I say they can smell a rat, <laughs> I mean that they know if you've actually used the product you're talking about or you haven't. Or if you're being sincere about something and how it's affected your animal or if you're just doing it to go through the motions. And so... The companies really expect, and quite frankly, they deserve for the riders to give specific, unique testimonials about each product every single time they talk about it, because that's going to be the most meaningful way to represent efficacy or usefulness to their mm -hmm. audience. And, you know, one big thing that always makes me cringe as a marketer is when an athlete just throws up some sort of not thought through post about their sponsor. And I'm like, man, do they even use this? Do they even care about it? Like how would it work for my horse if I don't know how it worked for their horse? And then I just continue to swipe up and I forget that I even saw that post. But if you have a rider that goes on their Instagram stories or on their Facebook feed, maybe does a video because video content is king um, and says, listen, guys, I love this product. It's really helped my horses. I couldn't get to the ring without it. It does X, Y, and Z. The chances of me going, hey, my horse really needs that and purchasing it right away are greater. So um, there's, definitely, there's definitely a lot of work going on on both sides. But if everybody follows the rules in their contract, does what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Generally sponsored relationships between brands and athletes is excellent and mutually beneficial. What are some of the problems that you have seen um, when it, the relationship on one side or the other didn't work out? Oh, I mean, communication with a capital 
see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the biggest the biggest issue that can get between a brand and a rider is when neither one of them feels like they're getting the value from the communication. And this is seen, unfortunately, most frequently from the brand to the athlete. Many times brands feel like the athletes do not communicate with them unless they need something. And nine times out of 10, that's because the athletes or the barn managers or anybody else that's really associated with that that equine business is going in a thousand different directions at a hundred yep. miles an hour and just forgets to do it, or it's not the most important communication they need to have that day, which we've all been in a barn that's completely yep. understandable. But also from a brand's perspective, they're giving you product for free, which equals cash that they're not making in other sources. And so it can be really hurtful for them to, to say, hey, I'm giving you X amount of hundreds or thousands of dollars of product every month, depending on your relationship, and you can't, you can't communicate with me, that's not fair. And that I, say, that I would say is single-handedly the most common thing we deal with. Um, I have had so many conversations where I say, you know what, I've texted them and I haven't heard back. I've emailed them, but heard back again. I don't recommend emailing riders directly. They almost never check their emails. If they even know where it lives on their telephone, <laughs> it's a miracle. Um, you know, that's again, it's just, uh, it's just another part of being a busy athlete with you know, a large equine program to take care of, but definitely, definitely, definitely the trap to not get sucked into is not communicating clearly about what you need, when you need it and how it's going to get done. Um, Also, just to be fair to the riders, because they're not the only ones that don't communicate properly. Right. um, You know, if a rider, especially this happens with Um, equipment or supplements. Um, If a rider really needs something that their horses use every single day, it's crucial that the companies fulfill those orders so that the riders are getting them on schedule wherever they might be in the world. And if you have a company that doesn't have a strong order fulfillment or doesn't follow up based on what the athletes need and the athletes don't get what they need, then of course the athletes are going to be frustrated and of course they're not going to want to post about it on social media. And then the relationship deteriorates from there. So most important as in every relationship, um, any of us ever get into communication clearly is um, the most important thing you can do to keep things happy and healthy for a long time. And read the contract. (laughs) And read the contract. <laughs> yes, read the contracts are very, very important. And I will say, um, you know, the great thing about equestrian sports is that it's really starting to come into its own. You know, I feel like there were maybe a decade or two 
in the early 2000s until now where equestrian sports kind of teetered off and it wasn't in front of people as much as it is now. We're really happy to say it's coming back because it's, they're the best sports there are. Um, but now that it's coming back, it's taking on a life of its own. Um, a lot of businesses and athletes are getting savvy. They're hiring marketing teams to work with mm. them. They're having contracts. And you can see some really great, successful, high-level relationships uh, happening right now, which is cool. And and I notice it especially um, in the, the events, you know. Yeah. And- clinics and you know obviously WEF um with just you know amazing sponsors that are not you know horse related items that generally shows rely on um the feed companies and the supplement companies but WEF has done an amazing job of stepping out of the box and attracting Mm -hmm. you know jewelry and insurance and investment p- groups um, and airplanes, you know, uh, yep. U.S. jet. And- totally. And WEF has done an incredible job at transforming equestrian sport in North America, as has Global. Um, you know, I don't think anybody knows Global as the Global Dressage Festival. I think we only know it as the Adequan Global Dressage <laughs> yes, Festival, which absolutely. is a brilliant piece of marketing. Um, so kudos to them. But you actually are kind of stepping into an area that is really of big interest to me because, and I think we've all seen this in this last year with the amateur equestrians really showing their numbers and mm-hmm. raising their voices about being taken seriously. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt that owning a horse is expensive. Um, you know, so many people that I know make really great, reasonable salaries, but they have a horse or two and they give paycheck to paycheck because yeah. all of their money goes to their horses. Um, and none of us would have it any other way. Right. However, it is not only the 1% of the 1% that owns horses in America. And I would venture to say that those top 1% aren't the people that are caring for their horses day in and day out. Right. You know, they're not the people living in the barn. They're not the people trailering themselves to a horse show. Yeah. Taking care of their horses at home. Like, they're cleaning they're their own tack, cleaning their own tack, like doing their own stalls. Like there's yep. so many more people in the constituency of equestrian sport that are normal people yep. that work on a budget that go to BNC rated horse shows and just do this because they really love their horses. Yep. And it's great to have a jewelry company. It's great to have a private airline. I wish I had one. It's great <laughs> to have an investment firm. Also, which I wish I had one of those. But it's also critical to the longevity of our industry and our sports to not lose sight of the fact that there's smaller companies like Biostar um, that you know, like another company that we work with at PMG called American Equus, you know, I, the list goes on and on that really cater to normal people on normal budgets that love their horses. And, you know, definitely 
I think that our industry is learning that those companies can't be overlooked as well. Um, and you can see those at events and another event that does an incredible job um, is the Quarter Horse Congress. Yes. That draws hundreds and thousands of people when we're not in COVID and represents all different levels of competition. Mm-hmm. And also Land Rover three-day event that's in Kentucky yes. in the spring. Like they have, you know, Olympic level competition, the best riders and athletes in the world. But the majority of people you see there are normal people that love horses, like to be with one another and are out there celebrating it for what it is. And so I think it's crucial that we don't lose sight of the fact that it's more than just the 1% that makes our world go round. Here, here. This is, this has been great. I, I just, I just want to say that, um, Working with PMG, it's like getting a whole nother team um, to help. And that's my experience is um, when we tackle, uh, you know, how, how are we going to do, what are we going to do for social media or how are we going to uh, do a, a, an arrangement, a contract with this athlete. And it's not just me having to come up with solutions. I have this whole PMG team that shoots me ideas or redirects me if I go too far um, off the ramp, so to speak. Um, and I, I, that for me is, is just huge because being a small company, I, it would be very hard for us to hire our own photographer, our own social media person, our own marketing person. Or I mean, it would just be, we do have to add so many more people and with PMG, you just get it in one umbrella. So um, I, I highly recommend Phelps Media Group and um, feel free to look at our show notes for the contact information and, and website which is phelpsmediagroup.com. And thanks, Lenore. This has been great. Thank you so much, Tigger, and everybody at Healthy Critters. I really appreciate the the opportunity. And um, I just want everybody to know that PMG loves Biostar, too. So thank you so much. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Hetty. How are you, Hetty? I'm so well, thank you. How's everyone? Not you're all well, I, I do hope. We're all well. I I have a question for you. I have a question for you t- this evening. We okay. I have decided for the breed of the show that I was going to do the Pomeranian. And my question to you was, because you obviously have lived with other Pomeranians and you are a Pomeranian, what, what are some of the best attributes of a Pomeranian? Well, number one, we're extremely intelligent. That is true. Number two, we're extremely good looking. That's true. number three. You'll always look better with a Pomeranian because how could you not look better with me with you? <laughs> um, okay. 
Number four, we're relatively inexpensive to feed because we don't take that much food, although we would like more food. Um, Especially cheese. Number five, you could fit a lot of us in a truck. (laughs) Number six, when people are judgy about the number of dogs you have, if your dogs are all under 10 pounds, they're less judgy. <laughs> these are things I'm going to add to my uh, information uh, about the breed. So these, this is really helpful, Hetty. Very helpful. Also, I'm extremely cute. So cute. And my sister is adorable. And my new sisters who have been home for almost a year. So our next show, we're going to do a special gotcha day in celebration of the little weirdos. But, you know, they're cute, too. So that's good. That's good. Okay. So there, so, so basically what you're saying is that you're cute, you're small, and you can fit a lot of you in a truck because you don't eat a lot. <laughs> and people are going to be jealous. What more could a dog owner want? Uh, right. People will be jealous. You'll look better because of me. Okay. But They'll think you're this. smarter and better looking and nicer than you actually are. <laughs> okay. This is all good stuff. Well, thank you, Hetty. We do. We appreciate your insight into Pomeranian. The, the Pomeranian. Yeah, we appreciate it. And you know from personal experience, so believe it. She no one knows better than me. With Nobody. That's true. I tell I tell myself or that more. every day, Hedwig. Nobody knows better than Hedwig. Every day I say that. That's so true. Yes. Perfect. Bye bye, Hedwig. Okay, thanks, Hetty. And now it's time for the breed of the show. We are at the breed of the show segment of our time tonight, and I thought it was about time that I did it on the Pomeranian. And as we all know, we have a talking Pomeranian that, um, gives advice on our show and there are some tidbits from her, but I'm going to, I'm going to use some tidbits and some information that I actually found on the internet first. (laughs) Um, And then I'll get to Hedwig's um, point um, a little bit later. Um, So the Pomeranian, lots of little interesting facts about this tiny little dog. They, um, they are actually a descendant uh, of a larger Spitz dog, which is actually a sled dog. Um, they're a toy breed now, now known that originally, um, originally came from, um, the around Poland, Germany border. Um, there was a little bit of discrepancy exactly. Um, if it's a town called Pomeranian, that part, I couldn't really figure it out. But the whole point is, is that it was actually started out as a larger dog. It has now been, um, sized down to a toy breed known as the dwarf switch. And there's, I'm going to try to do this word justice, um, Zweigerspitz, which I think is the German thing. So don't anybody quote me on that. If I've offended anybody, I'm really sorry. I tried. Okay. Um, They uh, height about 7 to 12 inches. They weigh about anywhere from 3 to 7 pounds. These are all just generalizations. Lifespan is anywhere from 12 to 16 years. They are actually ranked in the top 50 for favorite breeds, which I kind of thought was that, um, interesting just because 
I don't, I don't, we just don't see them that often. I mean, I know we talk to one a couple times a month. Sometimes you live with them, right, Tiggs? But um, yes. <laughs> they are, um, they come in tons of different colors. Um, they come in a cream, an orange sable, a black, tricolor, white, red sable, all wonderful colors. Um, and there's actually a new one, um, which is a merle. Um, as far as health uh, considerations, they're really basically pretty healthy. They have a little bit um, of kind of typical smaller dog issues um, with, you know, stay on top of their teeth. They may have a little subluxation of their patellas, which is kind of a common thing for smaller dogs. Um, but for the most part, they're um, really fairly easy and healthy. Um, even though they're small, they're a little bit of an energetic, saucy dog. If any of you have listened to the show before, you'll just know talking to Hedwig, saucy is equal to Pomeranian in definition. Um, they need exercise, but it doesn't need to be excessive. Um, they are a very, typically a very friendly, lively, playful dog. Um, they're very alert. They will bark. They, um, they're, if you want something, if you want a dog that's going to alert you that someone's at the door or in the hallway or across the road or across town, they're the dog. They'll definitely bark at anything. <laughs> so they're very good at alerting. Um, super intelligent dogs. Um, and they respond very well to training. But like anything else, you have to be sort of diligent and start somewhat early. Um, they are not an extrovert. They're, they're, they're not an introvert. They're definitely an extrovert. They like to be out there. They like to, to meet people. They like to meet other dogs. Um, something that I thought was sort of interesting, they were originally bred to pull sleds. How do you think Head would feel, would feel about that? <laughs> well, I, I think if she was a bigger dog. Yeah, tiny, tiny, tiny sled. <laughs> yeah. A sled for a little elves. So, you know, overall, they are a, basically a pretty healthy, funky, great companion. They don't need a tremendous amount of exercise. They love to be cuddled. They're they're very good about traveling, and um, and so I did ask Hedwig her opinion on Pomeranians, and obviously, being one, she says that they're very beautiful. Um, the the reason to have one is they don't eat a lot, and, and unless you you're offering them cheese. And you can fit a lot of them in a truck. So I think those are <laughs> That really was good. great. Yeah. <laughs> so um, great little dog. And um, I think they'd make a super companion. Um, I was just looking at the AKC rankings. Mm-hmm. So 195 breeds. And um, they are t- t- ranked 23rd in popularity. Isn't that yeah. That's, Isn't that amazing? That means they're they're pretty. Now, do you want to hear something really amazing? What? Pembroke Welsh corgis are ranked eleventh, mm-hmm. and Aussies are ranked twelfth. Oh wow! They're above Yorkshire Terriers. Would not have thought of that. Me neither. And what is the number one dog? Poodle. Labrador. Really? Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. And number two are the French Bulldogs. That makes sense because they're so hot right now. Number three, the German Shepherd Dogs. Hmm. Golden Retrievers are fourth. Bulldogs are fifth. Wow. 
over poodles, who are sixth. Yeah, poodles held that for a long time. A long time. Beagles are seventh. Rottweilers are eight. German short-haired pointers are nine. I would Dots. not have done. I would not have get put a German shirt pointer in there. That would. Not I have thought guessed. they would be down in the forties. Yeah. Huh. And Yorkshire Terriers are thirteenth, and Boxers, Great Danes, Siberian Huskies, Cavalier, King Charles Spaniels, and Dobermans are wow. the top eighteen. Yeah, surprising. And this is as of twenty twenty one. Well, there we go. We look. We've learned more about. More breeds of dogs than we ever thought we should have. There we go. Indeed. There we go. Indeed. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield. And I'm Philip Parks from the Dressage Radio Show. We are the official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation, and we love talking all things dressage. As two professional dressage riders, we enjoy bringing our friends and colleagues on the podcast to share our knowledge of the sport. We have interviews with writers, trainers, authors, and judges to bring you information, stories, and writing tips about dressage. We invite you to come on over to listen to our show at dressageradioshow.com. And here we are at Critter Nutrition, and today the topic is what is natural. The term natural is a popular marketing term, widely used in human food products and supplementation, and now being used more and more for equine and canine feed and supplements. For many customers, natural on the label means healthier, better, pesticide-free, GMO-free, and minimally processed. But in reality, Natural on a label doesn't mean any of those things. According to Consumer Reports, under federal labeling rules, the word natural means absolutely nothing. The FDA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture allow companies to use the term natural on labels as long as nothing artificial or synthetic has been added. This broad, mostly non-regulated definition thus allows vitamins made from coal tar and petroleum to be called natural. It allows companies to call MSM natural even though it is made from petroleum byproducts of methane gas. Highly processed food ingredients can be called natural. According to Michelle Simon, a public health lawyer based in California, this state of confusion is right where the food industry wants us. The case of high fructose corn syrup. Before high fructose corn syrup was condemned by consumers and many physicians, products with high fructose corn syrup in the ingredients were often labeled natural. According to the Environmental Working Group, when the sugar industry complained to the FDA, the FDA defended high fructose corn syrup because it is derived from corn. Therefore, it is natural. Although high fru- fructose corn syrup started out as a corn, the Corn Refiners Association explains as 
while the corn used to produce high fructose corn syrup may or may not have been produced using genetically enhanced corn, existing scientific literature and current testing results indicate that corn DNA cannot be detected in measurable amounts in high fructose corn syrup. Say what? Didn't it start out as corn? Part of the processing of high fructose corn syrup includes converting the dextrose sugars in corn syrup into fructose sugars. Although fructose and glucose are in table sugar, they are chemically bonded together and the body must first digest sugar to break these bonds before the body can absorb the fructose and glucose into the bloodstream. In contrast, the fructose and glucose in high fructose corn syrup are blended together so that the high fructose corn syrup doesn't need to be digested before it is metabolized and absorbed into the bloodstream. Natural flavorings. As you might have guessed, there isn't much of a difference between natural flavors and artificial flavors. In order to make highly processed foods or supplements that contain laboratory-created ingredients appealing, a whole flavor industry has emerged from the fragrance industry because smell makes up 80 to 90% of the sense of taste. Flavorings help increase sales by making mouth-watering tastes. In a 2011 interview with Morley Safer of 60 Minutes, two flavor scientists from the company Givaldan said that one of their goals was making food addictive. A natural flavoring, for instance, natural apple flavor, is considered natural by the FDA if a chemical originally found in apples is a component of the flavoring ingredients. Both natural flavoring and artificial flavoring can contain over a hundred or more ingredients including solvents, preservatives, and flavor modifiers that often make up 80 to 90 percent of the mixture. An artificial flavor must be comprised of one of 700 FDA-allowed flavoring chemicals or any of the 2,000 other chemicals not directly regulated by the FDA but sanctioned for use by an industry group. The Flavor and Extract Manufacturers Association of the U.S. Interestingly, the natural or artificial emulsifiers, solvents, and preservatives in flavor mixtures are called incidental additives and are not required to be disclosed on labels. These solvents can include ethanol and propylene glycol. For organic foods, the natural flavor must have been produced without synthetic solvents, carriers, and artificial preservatives. Additives not allowed in natural flavor in organic foods include propylene glycol, the polyglycerol esters, mono and diglycerides, benzoic acid, polysorbate 80, BHT, BHA. My personal philosophy on natural. If a feed or a supplement or a food product has natural on the label, I don't buy it. Keep in mind that companies use the term natural as a marketing tool, not as a description that really defines the ingredients. I have pretty much taken natural out of my lexicon because it's real meaning or what we consumers think of when we hear the word, is not what it means on a label. 
Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why BioStar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. BioStar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The BioStar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BioStarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BioStarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So here we are at Coffee Clutch, and I was inspired to um, share uh, our animals' secret powers um, because it was actually a phrase that um, my uh, customer service manager was saying about one of our customer service reps, that XYZ is her superpower. And I thought, oh, wow, yeah. Every human has at least one or two superpowers, but so do the dogs and the horses and the cats. And so everybody has a secret, sometimes not so secret, superpower. Um, so I started really observing my animals. And um, one thing that immediately came to mind was that my my senior dog, Kimasabi, his superpower is his nose. <laughs> that dog can find turtles. Unbelievable. He Well, he runs the uh, Australian Shepherd Turtle uh, Transportation Company. <laughs> and he can go out in the woods. All the other dogs are running around. And his he is like a bloodhound. His nose is on the ground. He knows where they are. And he gets them out of the leaves or under a log or wherever they are and gives them a ride. Of course, I have to intercede because you can't take them too far away from their habitat. He would like to take them back to the house and, you know, keep it as a pet. But I noticed that his nose is, is like unbelievable. Now, Keen has developed into a pogo stick. And I had him in in our dog paddock, and I was outside of it, and I decided to let them out. And he is jumping all four feet in the air higher than the four-and-a-half-foot fence. Oh, that's hysterical. And then landing, you know, just boing, boing, boing. He's like a kangaroo. Yeah. So um, those two, uh, that for me is their incredible superpowers. That's funny. They're good superpowers. <laughs> oh, that's good. Patty P? Well, I have very special animals. Um, I'm going to, since I have, um, since COVID hit and I have not been able to come down to Florida 
um, w- since my granddaughter was born, we did a lot of FaceTime. And I tend to, um, I don't like keeping the phone close to my head, so I always put it on speaker. And my dog, Burke, completely and utterly knows the difference between FaceTime and being on speaker. How? I cannot tell you. <laughs> but I can tell you that when I'm talking to my daughter, I'm trying to talk to um, my granddaughter, Hazel, and I'm on speaker, um, he's not interested at all about me holding the phone. Now, the minute there's a video involved, um, he's all up in my business, okay? He's just like, I'm in the middle. why are you doing baby talk? Like, you know, and I baby talk when I, you know, talk to her. So he's got, that is, a, I consider that to be quite an epic hour. It's very Wow. Epic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. He's got FaceTime a, detector. <laughs> yes. He does. Yeah. He does. Oh, that's funny. Um, my um, younger male, um, Australian Shepherd, absolutely positively knows the difference between, and I mean, I realize, so when I put bridges on every day of my life, or if I go through an airport, I always have to take out sugar cubes in one pocket and dog biscuits in the other. The catch <laughs> absolutely knows the difference between, between when I go to the sugar cube pocket and the dog biscuit pocket <laughs> heading out to go on a scent and I'll touch the left pocket and I'll call his name and I'm not even remotely kidding. And he will come right back. If I touch the right pocket, he's like, you know, give me a minute. Like, Hang on. I got stuff to do. Oh, that's funny. He's not looking at me. So I'm not sure what that's all about. So I think that's, I think those are pretty, pretty good powers. How about FUPA? Oh, my gosh. FUPA. Oh, my gosh. Now, explain to everybody who FUPA is. FUPA is... (laughs) FUPA, her real name used to be Myla. She is my ragdoll cat that pretty much... I've never met a cat that was more entitled just because she was born than... I've never met an animal that's been more entitled. Um, Oh, my gosh. What would FUPAs be? FUPAs... Actually, I think Fupa could be a therapy cat, even though it would be on her terms. Like if you were in a bad mood and you needed her to be there for you, she wouldn't do it unless she really felt like it was the right time. But um, <laughs> Fupa just Such a cat to know. Thing. Yeah, totally a cat thing. Um, oh my gosh, I would just say Fupa just knows has an innate ability to know when to show up at the right time. And she mm-hmm. also has an innate ability to know when to show up the absolute wrong time. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that right there. <laughs> so the other the other one that I wanted to mention is my uh, my horse Hal, who is a, a baby sweet 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 baby horse, and that horse has an amazing ability to make people laugh, and which is kind of interesting because like you wouldn't think about horses like wanting to I mean Tigger you met him briefly yeah um, I but I've heard plenty it, of his stories yeah I mean the stories go on and on and on and on and on about him picking up a speed pail and throwing it across the room because he was done eating and thought it was funny or the the sweet sweet dear man that that takes care of the barn and him filling up his water buckets and as soon as he turned his back dumping them and he was like like sticking his head over thing going, did you see that? Did you see what, like, he's just so comical, but I was showing it global. The last show at global during COVID. Okay. So 
the people here are real tired. <laughs> they're, yeah. You know, they're, they're real tired. They've done a great job. They're trying to do a really good job. And um, I come out of the arena. They're, you know, checking my bit. They're checking, you know, my spurs and all that. And I went to go get Hal a treat. And um, these women were so sweet and trying to, that was like the, one of the last people to go um, on the, the day I was showing. And I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a treat. And she's like, oh, do you want me to do it for you? And I said, yes, but you have to make him smile. And so Hal will smile if you lift your finger. And I didn't train him this. The girl that broke him for me, um, her name is April Trimmer in Virginia. I could not recommend her more. Taught him to do this. Um, but that horse, these people looked just kind of like they were out in the weather. It was windy. It was a little hot. You know, the end of the end of season. And here's my silly ass five-year-old horse smiling. And they're just clapping. They said, oh, do you have more sugar cubes? Like, I stood there for five minutes. Like, I was just, you know. <laughs> So he has the ability to make people smile and laugh um, at the most appropriate time. So, I forgot to mention that um, yeah. Wookiee's superpower. Oh, and it it's it is so unusual, and and you're it, it's hard. It's even hard for me to to tell it because it sounds so off the wall. The moment a Star Wars movie comes on the TV, <laughs> yeah, she turns on the couch and watches it. Well, of course. What's her name? Her name's Wookie, for goodness sake. I know, but but none of the other dogs pay attention to to the to the TV much. Wookie, Wookie just has better taste in television than the other dogs. <laughs> But she yeah. just and and she lies there with her paws over the arm of the couch, looking at the TV, with such and she'll tilt her head at some of the noises, and yeah, it's oh. and it, I could put on any other movie. I could put on Harry Potter, Spider Man, you name it. Eh, as soon as she the yeah. Star Wars music starts up, she's like, okay, I'm on it. It's amazing. <laughs> she has an affinity so then, for, for John Williams. Pickles. Pickles has <laughs> she has many skills. I think her most impressive superpower is the ability to physically actually make herself weigh more. She can change gravity. Wow. Because She's only a 50-pound dog. We have to f lift this 50-pound dog up pretty regularly. And it's usually because we have to put her somewhere she doesn't want to be. <laughs> For example, yesterday, she decided that she could not possibly tripod her way back to the house after going potty. Because she has a sore leg and she has to hop on three legs and she couldn't possibly take another step. So I had to pick her up and carry her back to the house. And I swear, that dog, when I have to pick her up and carry her somewhere she doesn't want to be, weighs 150 pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah, the my deadbeat syndrome. Yeah, my children used to do that. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then when you pick her up, her legs go stiff and straight. Oh, jeez. You know, and they stick absolutely perfectly straight, like rigor mortis legs. And then her body gets all wimpy, squishy. So it's it's like trying to carry a bucket of water without the bucket. Oh. Yeah. 
So that's her superpower, among others. But that's the one I'm willing to talk about today. <laughs> well, if you, if your dog, uh, of course, your dogs and your horses and your cats all have superpowers. And if you want to share them with us, send us a postcard. Healthy Critters, care of Biostar US, 1 Cleveland Street, Gordonsville, Virginia, 22942. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Network.com. <laughs>